not happen for an age. What's that? It is a gathering. Hello and welcome to Entmood. This is the 85th episode of said podcast and you may have just pressed skip on the last one, which is 84, or sort of fast forwarded through the sort of music at the end and reached this in your podcast feed or however it is you do things. Maybe you're doing it backwards. Maybe you haven't heard 84 yet because you're like, what's going on? 84 and 85 have just dropped at the same time. Ah, it's all panicky. Don't worry about it. Here is the information you need. This podcast is Basically, just going to be me talking a little bit, a massive interview, and then me talking a little bit at the end. What you're going to hear for the next hour or so is two of the, well, the two best players of Middle Earth Strategy Battle Game in the biggest league in the world talking about the game, about strategy, about lists, about conduct at the tabletop, about just the the work that they've put in uh, over the last year, setting records for the most competitive events won, of of the competition they've had, the sort of the sort of fiery duel that they've been uh, engaged in over the course of the year, and of course the the sort of the sort of slight frisson of disappointment at the end, knowing that only one person can take that trophy of the top. So, without much further ado, here is my chat with the two top players of Middle Earth Strategy Battle Game currently in action jake rawson and david farmer well welcome to the podcast guys thank you very much thanks for having us Thank, thank you. Thank you. So, I mean, obviously, uh, we've spoken over the course of the year and, and in previous years at the, uh, because essentially you've, you, you guys seem to be the, the only people who win tournaments around here. Um, so <laughs> I, I think I think in, I don't know what the exact total is, but it must be in the in the double well into the double figures for uh, for both of you uh, in tournament wins over the last year, because um, you've attended what feels like dozens and dozens and and won mm. loads and loads of them. It, it, it feels like you've been on the podcast all the time but I, I guess that's just that's just the fact that you guys have been in quite a race David yeah I mean we won 11 tournaments between us this year so that's more than a third slightly under half of the 100s wow. um, that's not counting uh, the 90 wins as well well it's just been a lot of tournaments really <laughs> um, I think um, been a busy year I'd say so yeah, and I mean, at the start of the year, uh, I, I, I'll carry on with you first, David. Did did you have a sort of? Were you really? Were you aiming for the top, or was it just you know the first couple of tournaments you you did well and you thought, oh, I might have a chance again, or or, or not? Because you came second last year, is that right? Yeah, I mean, this year I, I was aiming for the top from the start. I I didn't. I wasn't like a, it wasn't like a serious. Okay, I should. I'm going to try and win the league. Exactly. It was like a. Well, I mean, it was that, but it wasn't like a, I'm going to try as hard as possible to win the league. And I was just like, well, it's the only place left to improve. And I'd sort of, well, last year was a bit disappointing in terms of results for me, but I still came second overall. So I felt like, well, if I can channel the last two years where I felt like I'd been sort of developing into one of the top players, I felt like I could probably challenge for the league at least. And then after a pretty strong start, I felt like, okay, so definitely the win is on. You know, it's not necessarily going to be mine, but especially with the amount of tournaments. Once I had two wins in two seconds, I was thinking like, well, 
this isn't bad. I'm already on 390 kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and so for people who don't know how the, the league works, it's the top four scores initially, isn't it, um, in the league? And so two, uh, so 390 is two 100-point wins and 290s uh, for the second. And all that's, uh, sorry, 295s for the seconds. But then, of course, it goes back and back to your fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, however many results it was in the end. And and Jake, you were you were basically gunning for the top as well because you were the, the best newcomer last year. Yeah, so I, I won Best Newcomer last year and came up fifth or sixth in the league, something like that, I think. Um, so I came into this year thinking, oh, yeah, I, I might do quite well. But I never had any kind of illusions that I'd be competing for a top spot, let alone the top spot uh, against Farmer of, uh, of all people. Um, so after I won my first event in February, that's what kind of made me realise, oh, actually, there might be a chance here. I might as well uh, go for it and see how I can do. Because I wanted to improve my position last year. Um, but yeah, didn't didn't think for a second that uh, it would end up uh, winning the league. So uh, as that started settling throughout the year, I, I then started to really go hard and uh, put everything I can into doing as well as I possibly could. Yeah, absolutely. So so before we sort of go really really hard into the the finale, which of course was this really epic and dramatic um, uh, sort of end to the the league and end to this race between you two. And um, I, I guess start with Jake because uh, just how how was uh, your list building, your your sort of uh, strategy, or your your you know following the meta, any of that sort of stuff? How has that changed over twenty twenty three? Because we haven't had a lot of result, uh, sorry, uh, releases for the 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 game. So has has much actually changed? Um, for me, a lot because last year obviously it was my first big year in competing, and I just played exclusively Lothlorien all year for every event and every points level. Um, but this year I wanted to branch out a little bit more and try some new things because I started to get a bit bored um, with it. And so basically what I did was I spoke to Will Champion, who I'm sure many people on your podcast will know, um, for any event that we had and say, right, cool, what should I take at this points level? And he'd tell me and I'd go and buy it and build it and paint it and then play that. Um, so that's ranged from Arnor, Hunter Orcs, Iron Hills, pretty much anything that he's wanted to sell me in his store, I've then bought and, and painted. So it's probably <laughs> one of the most important thing, really. I was going to say, um, telling it, you to buy Ar- Arnor is a great idea for, for a yeah. second-hand <laughs> shop because Arnor's not available and uh, you managed to pick up a whole army, didn't you, in the end? Yeah, they had a £600 Arnor army for sale at Seventh City, <laughs> which he convinced me to buy. So, um, Amazing. But hey, it, it clearly worked. So, yeah. it, it, it certainly did. Well, that's interesting that Will is the, the puppet master uh, uh, for, for, for Jake. <laughs> Obviously, you had to play the play the games, but he, he seems, seems like he's been instrumental was that was that the same for you uh dave was it was there someone sort of <laughs> pulling the strings for you or was it all all <laughs> off your back um no i just played what i wanted to play to be honest the first thing that was a sort of influencing factor was the wtc was in i mean jake was there as well to be fair we were both playing for england the wtc i felt like it was kind of a so i wanted to play it a song of florian for a while um and I'd played it a little bit, played at the WTC and felt like I wasn't at the level that I wanted to be, particularly on the list building front. I think seeing more list styles is very eye-opening if you've not really been, you've been saying in the UK scene a lot, there's, there's a lot of truisms, I would call them, about list building and a lot of like list building cul-de-sacs where people get stuck in a certain mindset that doesn't actually improve what you're trying to do. Mm. Um, so after doing that, I... That was when I started playing Mordor Soledad after that um, for a few tournaments. Um, I had some success with that. I thought it was pretty good. Um, but also that list is a limited by the meta in a lot of ways. Like it didn't like 
shooting, for example, it, it like Assault and Loth is okay, but you have to run the Shadow Lord and then also for dealing with the Assault and Helm's Deep, which were very dominant early in the year. Assault and Helm's Deep in particular, it was, I wouldn't call it a cheat code, but it certainly felt a bit like one at times. That, that list is extremely strong. Even now it's strong, but mm. then it was horrendous. And um, I guess just trying to sort of adapt to keep myself entertained was the main thing. Like yeah. have enough variance that I'm not just dropping Sullivan and the Witch King on every table every single time and going like, yeah, and then I do this same thing every time. But like, I'm not like, I, I'm, I massively respect what Ash has managed to do this year. Uh, Ashley Wilger, who's played a lot of this and he's had a lot of success with it, but he plays almost exclusively this, even in casual games. And I just, it drives me insane. Even to compete, <laughs> even competing, Part of the reason I changed so much later in the year is I'm so fed up of it. Like, mm. And the, don't, don't worry, Dave, because people are fed up of playing it as well. <laughs> yeah. oh, tell me about it. The thing is, it's the top list, really, mm. um, in, in the meta, I, I would say. Probably up there um, in the era of the Dragon Emperors, which didn't actually last that long, where everyone was using Dragon Emperors. Um, that is an annoying matchup. It's kind of a bad matchup for the, yeah. the Mordor Sullivan, but... The emperors are just not that popular because I think that's an even more boring list to play. Yeah. So, the, you when, when you when you spoke about list cul-de-sacs and that sort of the WTC uh, changing yeah. changing that, what, was there was there something at the w, the WTC that you saw, or was it the different uh, nations teams? Uh, sorry, lists that that just expanded your mind a bit. Was there anything specific that that you can mention? Well, I feel like in this country, less less now than before, but up until very recently, it felt like people start by looking at the green alliances and the legendary legions and that's almost as far as they get part of the reason i think um mordor Sullivan is so popular right now is because it's a green alliance so it sort of goes through the heads of the people who are i won't i won't go so far as to call it uncreative but there's a certain amount of we start from the the green you know air quotes theme alliance even though i wouldn't necessarily say that's especially theme and the legendary legions and you sort of work out from there and yellow alliances i wouldn't say they're frowned upon but there's certainly a more visceral reaction to a blatant like for example the lake town engine plus allies earlier in the year had a very visceral reaction to it despite probably being weaker most of the time than for example mordor Sullivan or dragon emperor or assault on helm's deep yeah and it's still got the harshest nerf of the lot because people look at a yellow alliance and sort of cringe and go Ugh, even though actually you know, it's really not that bad. So, so in in uh, I think you're right. In the continent, people seem to start almost start from a different point. They seem to yeah. me to go this this model is good, this model is good. This you know, can we combine them in some way? You know, is, yeah. is that what you're getting at? Yeah, like I'm not saying that's necessarily better, and I do respect people who run less powerful lists because they like them and because they're satisfying. Like I've had a few tournaments where I've run lists that I know are suboptimal, but I've really enjoyed using them mm. um, this year, just as a sort of a, you know, a palate cleanser, a flavor difference. But one thing I have noticed is as the year's gone on, more and more people feel like they've, they've taken the gloves off as it were. They've all opened up to it and been like, right, if I want to compete, I'm going to have to start throwing down meta lists 
So I expect next year to be absolute carnage on that front, to be honest. That's interesting because I, I, I wonder whether that is partly because um, as the league has grown, uh, you know, there's been a, a sort of influx, I think, of newer players who who perhaps are competitive from other scenes who have, have really started yeah. getting really involved in the top top table uh, uh, sort of games and, and, and the league itself. Mm. That also, the lack of releases has really mm. hurt that as well. So, for example, someone who'd be like, oh, I'll try the new thing is now like, well... Everyone's talking about this Mordor Soledan thing, but there's no other thing for them to start because there's not been any new releases since the Beyonings and Fragmentor last year. So they're like, well, okay, I'll start a new army. What's that going to be? Or well, I'm going to get some Black Numenorians and some Moranans and a Soledan and then play that because it's, you know, it's new to them just because it's a powerful list. It's so I don't I don't blame them for doing that. If you want to start a project and you want it to be strong. It's a good way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. But it does mean there's a lot of them around. Yeah, that's fair enough. Is that is, has that sort of been the the similar situation for you, Jake? Because as you mentioned, you you've chopped and changed a lot. You've taken lots of different armies that Will has told you to take. <laughs> but uh, you yeah. know, is that is that why you've changed so much? So a lot of my list building up until the finale was building an army that is the most optimal at that given points level and just ignoring the lists that other people will be taking. And sometimes that's worked very well in my favor because I can just play the scenarios and I can chance my way into favorable matchups against lists that I'm, I'd like to be put against. And sometimes that's gone against me because I've come up against a lot of lists that I've really not wanted to face in that in that certain situation. So it's, yeah, it's kind of been 50-50 on that. But then when it came to the finale, that was the first time where I actually started to think, right, I know there's going to be a lot of these particular kinds of lists here. I need to not just build for the points level, but also consider the fact that I need to counter these lists as well. And so a lot of it came from thinking, what's the worst possible matchup that I could have and trying to minimize those those opportunities as much as possible, really. But um, yeah, throughout the year, I think it it has changed quite a lot, the amount of lists that we've been seeing. And so in my mind, I always thought, well, I'm not going to bother practicing and building for something like this because it won't be around for too long. And it, it hasn't, but also there is a small segment, about 10% of people that have consistently stayed with those lists throughout the year as well. And so there's always that possibility that you're going to run into that one thing that you don't quite want to face. Mm, that's interesting, because huh? I almost never think about what other people are going to bring. And then I get to the table and I think, oh, crap. <laughs> like, I should, <laughs> should have planned for this. Uh, I should have known I'd face up against the Dragon Emperor or whatever. Uh, that, that's really interesting. So, I mean... Um, in terms of the so so that's kind of the, the this year twenty twenty three and you've kind of already touched on it Dave the the twenty twenty four do you I mean I guess this is largely defined by if there are going to be any new releases in this early part of the year but I mean do you think it's going to be more of the same are we going to see more Sullivans on the the top tables for the first half of the year I would say yeah probably the um, the change in scoring system from the league going from having a locked out one to 195 to being proportional all the way down. So basically that really highly rewards consistently finishing more well, more than it did before, before it was sort of, there was an element where you could be like, well, risking it all to get first and second is always worth it. Whereas now like getting fourth at 150 person tournament is now extremely high value. In fact, it's probably more high value than getting second at most tournaments kind of thing. Yeah. So, that is going to encourage people to take the most reliable list they can come out with, which is probably going to come around to the current meta lists. Yeah. So, so yeah, you think, I think that, is that... that scoring system as well is also going to massively affect, in my mind, attendance to certain events, because whilst this year we've seen a lot of some of the top tier players 
going around to 90s to try to score up some extra points to boost their score. Now it's just not really going to be as beneficial. So maybe we'll see less attendance of the top table players at those 90s and therefore it'll be better for the the other people to go and uh, score some higher yeah. and do a bit better and have a bit more of an enjoyable experience as well. Because there's nothing I used to hate worse than going to a, an 80-pointer last year and coming up against the top three players in the country who all came to grab, grab some more points. So... Maybe that'll be a bit more forgiving and a bit more encouraging for the players. Yeah, I think that that is going to be uh, really interesting, and and I guess it will mean those those massive events, the ones you know, and and there are quite a lot of them now. You know, the ones that are getting into the eighty plus territory uh, attendees. Those ones are going to sort of be even more valuable for those uh, those top players to 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 attend. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, basically, it means if you're attending a smaller event and you don't win, you're getting less value for it because it was before. For example, Pontefracts, me and Jake got top one and two at that lot uh, this year. That had, what, 19 people, I think? Uh, at the end of the day, yeah, 23 tickets sold, four dropped. Yeah, so basically, if you turn out to a tournament like that and you don't win, um, for example, like that second place would have been worth less than the 95 I got for it. It would have been worth like 94, which I anticipate if the league is competitive next year, I anticipate a 94 will not be a high score like high high score it probably might be like a fifth or sixth score but not it's not going to be a great score which i guess to be fair this year 95s were sixth scores so i guess that's the same thing but it does incentivize competing at the largest possible tournaments which makes things more difficult because the randomness is so great now as well the luck of the draw and um who you have to play against is super important so it's really important to have perspective that these things will never be in your control, not really. That's interesting. Um, so, I mean, just just thinking um, for for me, for example, as a tournament organizer, uh, as a, one of these hundred pointers, is there is there something that you think that needs to change at these really big events to make make those uh, you know uh, those clashes at the top tables um, less uh, less swingy or less uh, sort of you know frustrating for you guys? I guess. I mean, what- Go on, sorry. You, you go, Jake. You go. I, I was just going to say, one of my biggest frustrations at those big events is coming up against a, a team member and knowing that you're going to knock one of them out of any chance of scoring anything decent. So I think now this this point exchange system will be good for that because now if you beat one of your GBHL team members, it doesn't completely write off one of your weekends, um, which I think is, is good. I, I was talking with some other people the other day about um, events potentially doing setups where you couldn't play your team members until the final round, but then we just thought that logistically that's going to be a nightmare. And it also leads to biases and other things. So it's probably not something that was feasible, but this mm. whole thing in points does kind of negate that a bit. So. And you, Dave? Um, I was just saying that, um, what was I saying? I was saying about, you said if, so, okay, the, a possible idea is, I mean, you could have a seeded draw on the first round. I mean, it kind of is like that anyway, but it, you don't have, like, I don't think this is necessary or anything, but if you wanted to try and, you know, sort the top players into the competitive side of things as soon as possible, it would also reduce the possibility of players submarining and getting advantageous draws by playing down. Although what I will say is in larger tournaments, above about 30, 40 players losing the first round is almost always locking you out of winning it. Mm. Not always, but a lot of the time. If you're playing more than 50 players losing a round is definitely possible that you are then knocking yourself out. Not 100%. 
that's but probably more than forty percent. Yeah, that, that's interesting though that you talk about sort of submarining and things like that because as uh, as a, a player who doesn't often you know frequent the top tables, uh, I, I find it I think it just as frustrating to be smashed twelve nil by Jake Rawson in the first round and then um, you know get a twelve nil get a loss against uh, Dave Farmer in the second round because you lost your first <laughs> game. So actually, I think seeding works for both both sides of the uh, the coin. Really, mm. it works for the the players who are there it's more to have a a, um, a sort of a, a relaxed weekend than than to really compete so it can work in in both favor i guess um which yeah i don't know I, i'm a little bit reluctant with it just because i feel like it it's it's sort of part of the culture now that that's a possibility that you should just have to deal with i mean mm. you can never take away like i said it's never going to be fully in your control this whole game is so random in so many ways for me the largest possible effect that can happen is comes from the scenario and the matchup more than the um yeah more than like the dice dice and stuff can always ruin you like i mean sort of happened to me at the finale a little bit um in my third round but at the same time like that happens very infrequently whereas getting screwed on the draw happens quite a lot Mm. and there's nothing to stop like for example like you know that your army would get is pretty well balanced but it gets completely destroyed by the vanquishes for example and then you randomly mapped up into someone who's not played much but is just randomly dropping the vanquishes down like someone competent who's picked them up and decides they want to play them and then you then have to play them first round and it's still it's not saving you from that it just means that you have more of a difficult time i don't know like i don't think it's that important really i think the randomness is still going to be there no matter what it's food for thought though isn't it that's interesting uh, so uh, there you go uh, tournament organizers listening um now uh, something else i wanted to talk about and i've, I've sort of mentioned this um i, I spoke to uh, top table players uh, a couple of years ago um about about these kind of things because as you've just pointed out uh, david it's interesting you mentioned dice don't really matter like you know if you're if obviously there's there's variation you some days you'll be rolling more sixes and some days you'll be rolling more ones but there's something that is separating you two um, from being the, the the plebs like me at the bottom tables or in the middle <laughs> ranking tables potentially, and um, to being consistently at the top. And um, I asked in the past um, top table tips like, is there anything specific that you do with your miniatures differently that that everyone else does? Um, J- Jake, have you got anything that jumps to your mind first while Dave thinks? I mean, the, to be honest, the only thing that I really see in any difference between what I do and what a lot of other people do um, is, and it's kind of a cop-out answer really, is it's more about what you bring to the table because there's loads of strategies and things that you can do with an army on the table, which anyone can sort of do. But I always specifically build my armies based around the troops that I'm bringing rather than the heroes and then bulking them out. Because at the end of the day, you're bringing far more warriors to a battle than you are heroes. And so at the end of the day, they're going to win win the scenario and win the matchup so if you align more on your heroes to win you games to me that's not something i feel comfortable with and usually do because as as dave said you can sometimes fluff with them and when a hero fluffs something big it's a lot more impactful than some random dude in your line not winning a, a fight against a couple of warriors so yeah just, just trying to build lists around the majority of the dice that you're going to be rolling which will inevitably be your warriors rather than your heroes so, i think always gives you a bit more of an advantage so is so, that why you've gone for things like arnor which are sort of solid d6 troops fight four or whatever they are and 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 elves which are higher fight dwarves which are high defense have you, is that what is, is it it's almost a, a sort of leaning back onto those kinds of troops which you know are going to do well yeah that, that's exactly what i built my finale list to be like because i thought in 800 points you can get a good amount of troops for any army really so what you really need is to be 
quality troops over a, a bulk amount of troops because you're never going to be able to bring 100 models to bear in a list on a table the size of four by four. So I thought I need something that's going to counter strength four, so D7 dwarves. I need something that's going to counter the high fight values of the Mordor Harrod fight four and um, Dragon Emperor. So let's bring in some fight five and six elves. And then throughout the year, I've slowly realized as well that strength four is actually a lot more important than you think it is. So just the combination of dwarves and elves there kind of hits all those things that you really want to hit. And yes, it's an expensive battle line, but if you're then just doing cheaper heroes or just a couple of heroes, you can afford those extra points to really kit out your your line. And so it just works. It's it, it's it's an attrition list. That's that's what it does really. Mm. You put it somewhere and you say, "Cool, this is going to statistically win the majority of fights," and that's how I win the game. Not relying on some sort of big play to to make my way through. That's interesting, though, because because it sounds to me like you know you're you're. You're, you're approaching it in a very different way to, to most people, which which is intriguing, or certainly most people that I, I speak to, um, to just like think troops first. But but it, it it still it still doesn't quite answer my, my the the question. I I because I think if you put your same army, your army in my hands, I'd get I you know I might do well with it, but I certainly wouldn't get top table games. So I'm intrigued, and I don't know whether uh, like and I, I know that's sort of uh, uh, maybe d- uh, moving away from from the list how, how important the list is. But like Dave, is is there anything that you think that you guys do differently that you notice other people aren't doing at the bottom tables is it just calling people out on rules things or you know so is, is it actually that sort of stuff or, or is it more, more complicated than that well so i think of i think of it as for one of a better term i think of it as like game iq or game knowledge it's like knowing what you've got, knowing what your opponents got, and then spending the game trying to work out what they know about themselves. So if you play against someone who you know is going to be a top player, like say, for example, I'm playing someone like Jakob who loves to take lots of toys and tools. I have to be really clued in and think, right, he's probably not going to make any complete blunders with his with his tools his spider queen or his witch king or what have you. So I need to be on it. I need to plan. I need to assume he's going to make the right decision at all times. And then when you play against people who um, are playing similar lists but are like less keyed in to exactly what their lists are capable of, maybe a little bit less cautious, a little bit less careful, you can take more advantages. Um, and for example, I think that like knowing, just always being aware of the board state. So like if you're talking about like I'm we're this far apart, who has better, say, for example, I'm using my finale list, I've got my blinding light set up and I've got legless. So I'm thinking, right, well, I don't have any particular need to close the gap on anyone at this point. There's any long attrition war I will win. But then you've got to think, okay, what mission are we playing? Are we playing to the death? At which point, not sitting back is not going to benefit me or because you're going to end up with a draw. Or is it, um, are you playing an objective scenario where you can afford to just sit still for a little while. It's, it, you know, you think about how much time is on the clock. You think about who has priority, who's going to pick the fights, who's going to move first or second. Um, because a lot of the time, especially when you're dancing at sort of a, a distance, sort of 10 to 12 inches apart, having priority is a big detriment, especially if you don't have board control like magic or you don't have uh, big shooting. Because if I've got Gandalf, for example, and my opponent moves up a bit, and they've not thought that I can then be like, right, I can compel that guy forward, Gandalf and Thorin can charge him, and then I can kill a free model, get out and in a safe way. Or I can potentially start and engage. If they have a shooting line, how can I prevent them from shooting me? That kind of thing. Can I 
if it's a good army and they have shooting, you can pull a model out of the line, you charge it with the biggest models you have, and then run your army up behind that mod, that combat, because they can't shoot through it. That sort of thing. These are the kind of advantages you can always get that people don't necessarily see, I think. It's interesting, you, you, you sort of so the board control, uh, sort of being aware of the state of the game, because I know, um, I, I haven't noticed many people do this, but I know uh, Jay Clare, when he, when I've played against him, he's one of the few people I know, and maybe maybe you, you, you notice more at the top table, people who note down exactly how many models they've killed on, and how many models on each side mm. are dying. So yeah. rather than having, you know, like a pile of models on the uh, the side... He, he always had a little notepad, so he knew how far yeah. off the enemy was of breaking. S- simple things like that. And I guess that sort of information is really important. If you know, mm. okay, well, I'm here's, the rate I'm killing him is five a turn or whatever, and that's going to take four turns, and then I need to be here before they break, and then blah, blah. Those sorts of things yeah. are things that I just do not think about. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you've answered your own question really there. I yeah. mean, like, what I tend to do, rather than writing it down, I, I just ask my opponent to line their models up in five so I can count them visually without having to ask them for a count it's basically if you're thinking about it's all like you know call it sun Tzu strategy or whatever but if you're thinking about how many models are alive or dead you don't want your opponent to be thinking about how many models are alive or dead you want to be able to know that without asking them because if you cool. ask them they're going to be like oh yeah how many models are dead and then they'll be thinking about it again and then they'll remember that maybe you're only one or two off breaking them or something it's the difference i mean like i said top players don't have that problem because they will be thinking about that um anyway that that's just the i guess that's the difference interesting yeah. staying aware of everything has that inspired anything for you for you jake reminders um i mean I, i've picked up a lot of those sort of things so i'm actually playing dave throughout the course of the year so the thing he's just mentioned for example the line up the models um is something that i now do as well because what what I've, what I've said about Farmer a lot this year is he doesn't just play the game, he plays the person across from him as well. Yeah. He's uh, he's very good at the whole psychological aspect of the game and not giving anything away. He's very stoic. Um, and I think that's also very good because it's, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's almost like you never quite know what he's going to do next. And that fact in itself always keeps your opponent guessing on their toes. So, um, yeah, keeping things close to your chest is... It's very good, but also being able to change what you're doing at any given moment, having multiple strategies you can fall back on, because there are certain things that will work particularly well majority of the time, but then when something doesn't go the way you expect it to, not then falling apart and thinking, oh, well, that's it, my strategy's gone, now it's, it's all game over. So just being able to to change and adapt to mm. anything that might surprise you is, is also really important. I guess having that, that that ace in the hole almost, isn't it? You know, even, I, I, I'm just giving yourself, you know, even if it's a one in six chance of something, you know, maybe charging a guy over a hedge or something like that. You know, th- those things, I guess, can, even if they're just the, you know, option C out of a string of options that you have to try and win the game, at least, mm. at least planning for that a turn or so in advance, just in case you need it, um, they can help, I guess. Yeah, and the the other thing I would say is don't lose your head if something bad happens, something blatantly terrible goes off and you're like, oh, God, this is horrendous. Like, I have an example for this where... So, I, actually, I learned this from Ali King because he's very good at this kind of thing. He likes to play similar list to Jake where he'll have, like, a lot of really solid troops and heroes that are disposable because he feels burned by failing heroes. Um, but he tries to take, like, you know, a large dwarf army with where, like... Dane is just there to provide a banner. He's not there to be a chopper or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. So he um, he would always, if something goes really wrong and his main, his general gets compelled out because he flubbed his resist test and gets one shot by a spider queen, for example, he's sort of like, that sucks. And then he'll play out the rest of the game trying to win as hard as possible. I know a lot of people get kind of tilted by 
a failure like that, like something really unlucky happening and they lose their focus and then they make bad decisions and then a a bad situation becomes a very bad situation that you can't win. Yeah. I had a situation like that in Poland where I was playing Divide and Conquer against a, a Mordor Solidan with a Great Beast. And essentially he compelled my Gandalf out and killed him very, very early um, with the genuinely terrible resist test. And obviously Gandalf is like a quarter of the army. And Thorin lost his goat on the turn I marched and he got knocked prone by his uh, frame rider. So he was stuck a million miles from the action oh. on his bum. And I was like, okay, so I've lost 200 points worth before the game's even really started. This is bad. But then just by staying focused, because it's a team event, so I knew it didn't actually matter that much if I lost. It was just about damage mitigation. And I ended up winning a major victory because I was so focused on claiming as much as possible. I managed to get my infantry Thorin into the middle. And then at that point, it's divide and conquer. So Thorin can kill a model or two every turn, just free her at combats over and over. And you just sort of gradually clear out the middle. And then getting a bit lucky with priorities, I was actually able to claim the middle, which is obviously the most important thing in that scenario. And at that point, it's like, well, you've just taken a very, very bad situation, essentially playing 200 points down from the start to actually a victory. And that was only possible because I didn't, you know, lose my mind a little bit and play badly. I had to keep playing well the whole way through to get that. That's interesting. And as a result, yeah. we were able to get a victory. That's that's great though. I mean, those I think they're really great tips actually for for newer players. Just to just to keep keep your mind focused. Don't don't worry about the bad things that happen. Keep your on the scenarios. Obviously, yeah. the top tip for everyone to always focus on them. But also uh, your your idea, Jake, of, of focusing on on the troops as being the biggest percentage of your things and getting good troops. You know, um, but then you know uh, you know uh, uh, some troops are, are better than others, obviously. But you know you, you've got to know how to use them. I guess that is 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 the is the tricky bit and know your model placements and stuff like. That as well, which I guess is 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 something that that you guys take for granted. But people like me, I just I just forget about you know where where is the best place on in this line to deploy or to attack or and deployment and all. Ah, oh, there's so many things to talk about. But <laughs> but uh, it is interesting uh, to hear those those sort of top tips. And so so we haven't yet focused exactly on your list finale. You both sort of touched on your your list for uh, the finale itself that um, was was quite a dramatic one. And I don't want to um, labour uh, go through every single game but um jay do you want to start by just telling me your uh your your list and and give us a vague idea of of what you were hoping for the finale before we run through some of the uh, the action are you sure because apparently it was terrible <laughs> apparently it was going to lose <laughs> <laughs> hashtag golems gamers um, <laughs> yeah sure so um so I, like i bought this list uh for the first time this year in mind of what i was going to be coming up against so i was like i need dwarves i need elves that was a given. Uh, so it was just what sort of combination of that I put together. Um, and then also I, Biffa, obviously great value, fantastic choice. So he comes in um, because I, I built this list to basically run itself. And so I tried to encompass as many, not game breaking things as possible, but efficient things as possible. So Biffa, free heroic moves when headbutt comes off. Thorin, free heroic combats. Galadriel, free will point for casting. The whole idea of the heroes is built around that they're not spending anything to do the things that they need to do, um, which is is really good. And also, I got I got quite a lot of stick for making Thorin the leader in the list. So that the list is essentially forty models, a load of Iron Hills, a lot of shooting, some fight six guards, uh, Galadriel, Thorin, Biffa. And everyone was like, oh, he's, he's taking Thorin because he's sick of playing contests with Galadriel and it's a bad matchup and blah, 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 blah. And honestly, that's only really half the truth um, because I thought that if I encounter something like Assault and Lothlorien, 
Um, there isn't really a super reliable way I can take it out in certain matchups, but there is a really good way to counter the Assault on the Floor and Shooting Threat, and it's with a blinding light caster like Galadriel, because obviously when you put blinding light up, it illuminates the entire area within 12 inches, and all of a sudden you can now shoot over long distances. The problem with having Galadriel as the leader in that situation is you can't then gen just send up your leader with blinding light to enable you to do a lot of shooting. But if Foreign's a leader, uh, leader, Galadriel is then not really worth anything if she takes a few hits. So she wanders up, casts a blinding light, and all of a sudden your crossbows and elbows are now shooting out Assault on Lothlorien. Um, and if she takes a few hits, well, it's fine. She's got rerollable fate. She's got spells to restore her fate. She's three wounds anyway. So she can reliably survive about seven or eight turns easily, e even more potentially if the dice is nice. Of, of just enabling the shooting war, and then all of a sudden, the Assault on the Floor and shooting advantage sort of goes out the window, which is was was really, really good in the finale, because that was the one matchup that I didn't win. That was the one that got a draw. And if I hadn't set up the list to do that, then I almost certainly wouldn't have, have even scraped a draw out of that. That would have been a, a dramatic loss in retrieval. So, yeah, that was... Um, that was, that was fortunate. But the, the list itself just is, is really tough. It stands somewhere and the heroes just sort of are really efficient because you're draining your enemy's resources, doing all the things that they want to do while you're not really spending anything. And, and how many models was that? And most of them dwarves? 40, 40 models total. 40 models. Uh, and what, two thirds dwarves and a third of the fight six elves or something like that? 50-50. Uh, yeah. 50 yeah. oh, right. okay. dwarves and elves, about four guard of the Gladium Court. Uh, six bows and five crossbows, I think it was. Mm, interesting. So, for me, the idea that anyone thought that was a bad list, given the rules pack, is very funny. Literally, <laughs> the only thing, the only thing that I would have liked as much, but in a two and a half hour game, you could get away without having it. Yeah, exactly. And like for me, my logic with Thorin as the leader it doesn't need to go any further. Like I don't know why that was picked on either, because it doesn't need to go any further than the fact that um, if contest does come up. Galadriel is shit at contest, and that's just unavoidable. It's like, well, Thorin is great at contest. Yeah. And you, going into the finale, you couldn't really afford to have a scenario that you had no way to win. Like, I know yeah. you say you can win with Galadriel, but like, it's way very difficult. And if that had come up round five against a top opponent, you'd have been in trouble. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But, and but people always say Thorin that is your leader. Thorin is your leader isn't going to lose you any games. It's like, it makes it slightly harder. Like, I had Thorin as my leader as well. Yeah. It makes it slightly harder in some scenarios against some matchups, but it really doesn't make it actually difficult, I tell you that much. Yeah, and the big criticism a lot of people yeah. do is they say, when you've got someone like Thorin, he's 135 points, he needs to be doing something. When in reality, if he just charges one guy, who at combat kills him, and then runs eight inches away, yeah. that, that's absolutely fine. It's one guy a turn, right. and he is still just as safe as Galadriel. It's so, value. Mm. Yeah. Also, so so real shots is... fired here on the uh, Against the Golems Gamers podcast, which have uh, poo-pooed your <laughs> list. This end moot is where you get the real the quality uh, quality <laughs> tactics. <laughs> um, so Dave, so Dave, you you mentioned already that Thorin was yeah. your your leader as well. You went good as well. Mm -hmm. I thought you would go with uh, with a, a sort of Witch King Shagrati type thing, like you've like you've done so yeah. well with. Mm. I really dislike playing that list into fight five lines, <laughs> um, which I my spidey senses were telling me were going to be coming along mm. for the ride um, in Dragon Emperor and Elves, and it's just nasty. Um, for me, the big thing is. My list is I, my list runs on the exact opposite philosophy of Jake's, which is you take solid troops as solid as you can, but you make sure you have the heroes to make the things happen that you need to happen. 
Yeah. Essentially, like I had Gandalf the Gandalf the Grey. He was not a great caster, but he leads cheap, cheap troops to get the numbers up. Um, I brought in a Lake Town captain for March because, again, I like to have all the tools. I had Legolas, who bring, brings in some elves, some cavalry, brings in some glaives for sh- uh, the, the spear effect. You know, I had the Orcrist on Thorin, and I brought a front line of Iron Horse Dwarves. I think I had 13 of them. And it's like, it's not great to only have about a third of your army as the, the D7 Iron Horse Dwarves, but it really is enough, generally speaking, unless the, the things go terribly against you. You know, to get what you need to do done, it's the same kind of logic as a, a mortal solidan list. It's you take two two wraiths and you you solve all the problems that come up with the tools that you have. Um, mm-hmm. And the only thing I would say about it is thirty eight models isn't fantastic when, like, you know, a third of it is D four, but it's not bad either. You've got Gandalf, you've got the the tools you need to neutralize things. You've got blinding light, and you've got nine shots, including Legolas's, which means you outshoot basically everything even if they have blinding light, because Legolas can just be like, right, or hit that archer, kill it. You've got enough time in a two and a half hour game tournament to take as long as you want, turtling for as long as you like. And if you need to, you can just run away while Legolas auto hits their leader over and over. Like, it's not a bad thing to do that. Mm. Mm. You know, Would you say it's better day to play a reactive list or a proactive list? I prefer reactive because it means yeah. you have to think less. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on My that opponent point. has to think a lot. <laughs> Um, but like I, I have a tendency to overthink things as well. So actually taking away some of that from me is really useful. I think. Yeah. I don't like um. I don't like. I would hate to play something like Black Riders where you have to be proactive. Yeah. Because yeah. then if you make a mistake, you feel like a prat. Mm. Whereas if I have if I have a reactive list, if you make a mistake, it's like it's a final like you don't have to consider absolutely every opportunity. It's the same reason I don't like all hero lists. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, because I, I guess you're making all the choices in those kinds of lists. You're you're having to think of the the, the super play that's going to get you the win. Whereas yeah. in your lists, uh, it sounds like you yeah, yeah you're just hoping for the the uh, the opponent to make some mistakes, and in the meantime, you're grinding away and and hopefully getting to yeah. where you need to be. I, I missed an opportunity to say it earlier, but I think one of the things that I can't explain this because people either seem to have it or they don't. But like uh, the ability to sort of intuitively operate a battle line is one of the thing one of the most important things in this game in my opinion yeah and jake clearly has that and has it intuitively because he started with lothlorien and that's basically all they have lothlorien goes down well if you if you pilot the battle line correctly so clearly he's able to do that and it, it's not that philosophy of troops doing everything right that works perfectly with that because I... hunter orcs do that arnold do that lothlorien do that i know dwarves do that I'm gonna so, I'm gonna have to delve in into this you, delve into yeah. this this philosophy more. So when you say intuitively running a battle line correctly, what sort mm. of stuff is it that that you're talking about? Is it is it because I mean it sounds like it's just as you say intuition, but is there something specific that you think that some people do wrong? I mean it's really hard to say. For, um, for me, one of the big things is knowing where you want that battle line to take place, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it, it all got a lot of things come down to deployment with this game and a, a fight is is no different to that. Knowing where you wanna maximize, depending on the force you're using, obviously if you want a nice big open area, making sure that you're gonna clash in that open area. If you want somewhere defensible, then making sure that you're positioning yourself so that when the lines meet at that point it's gonna be where it's stable for you. And then obviously when things clash, there's loads of other things that you can do as well. But the the main thing is knowing where you want that uh, that clash to take place and making sure that that happens and not getting drawn into something that you don't want to be doing. 
Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, that is important, isn't it? The more, more you play, the more, more you realise that if you've just taken that extra one turn moving or, or making a mistake in your deployment and you're having to redress that line and then you realise you're six, months, uh, six inches further back than you want to be and uh, all that sort of stuff. Is that the sort of thing you think about, Dave? Yeah, so understanding what you're playing against and what their advantages are. So, for example, if you're playing against an Eagles list or like a, I don't know, a monster A-list, don't allow them to create, or like all hero list, even like the Vanquishers, try not to allow them to start the fight in amongst to- close-knit terrain because always your best bet will be to be able to surround them. It's just like Eagles in particular, if you let them create a line of Eagle to Eagle to Eagle to Eagle and you can't get behind them, even if you yeah. do chance it and win the fights, which you will do because they only have a couple of attacks and they have no might and stuff, monsters, if you win, you're not going to do enough strikes. Whereas if you do get to trap them and you have a hero in, suddenly you can be like, right, strike combat and you can kill two of them in a turn. But the trapping is crucial for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Sorry to, to, to get distracted by that, but that was that was actually a really interesting um, uh, sort of segue. I think so. We, we finished talking about your your list, hadn't we, Dave? We got the uh, and we've got both of your lists. So mm. so it, vaguely, yeah, vaguely. Yeah. I mean, we don't we don't need the, the exact details, right, but we know not. the rough rough outline of them both. So so with that in mind, um, at the finale, um, I, I don't want you to go through all the games, but uh, Dave, you, you, was there was there any tr- tricky matchups? I know you. I think both of you had a draw fairly early on. Is that right? I had a loss round three. Jake drew round two, which is retrieval. Round three for me was uh, recon. So that was the spiky luck that lost me the game. Lost me the the game basically where um, essentially I had two, my my plan in that game was I knew uh, he was playing Mordor Sullivan. He had the Mafia Sauron with three and Sullivan and three uh, seven riders and it's recon and he has the Witch King. So I'm thinking, okay, my mission now is to, Stop the Witch King, stop Sillidan, stop the Mouth from getting past me, stop the Riders from getting past me, and then make sure that I can get my... Because I had two Mirkwood Cav, they should be able to run... There was like terrain that would allow them to run down one side with basically only a little bit of shooting against them. So he either has to leave some army back at the end of that terrain to block them, or he has to commit to you know, just hoping that he can shoot them. Um, and then my mission was going to be keep Thorin as far away from the Witch King as possible, use Thorin to kill anything that he's going to break through with, and then assume he's going to break me, basically, because his battle line with the Sullivan banner outgrinds mine very easily, and if he happens to get enough sixes to kill the dwarves, which is basically a chance, then suddenly I'm going to break. So I have to work on the assumption that I'm going to break, and that's fine, because if I get two models off the board, all I have to do is stop him from getting any models off. So I expended resources early, I dismounted all of his heroes, killed all of his serpent riders with shooting and with Gandalf blasting them, but then what happened was I had my two cavalry were 10 inches from the board edge and he, with four trackers and a, and a four plus in the way, he hit and killed both of them. He hit twice, went through the in the way, went up twice and then rolled a double six. Oh my and God. And it was like, that was literally like, because at that moment I suddenly, I was very aware immediately I had no way to actually win the game. I was like, if I stop, I need to send Thorin to stop these guys. But that means I can't get any models off the board because Thorin is the only model that has any chance of getting off the board because of the free heroic combats at that point in the game. Oh, so it's cool. like, okay, I now, I'm now forced to pray that my strength three and two shooting can randomly kill three guys in a similar fashion or I'm, I'm scuppered. Well, and then cool. in the end, it just, yeah, it was, it was crap. So like, you know, even if one of them stayed, survived and got off the board, it would have been like, I could have forced a draw, which is not good, but fine. But yeah. Oh. And then at least I have the option of auto hitting the Witch King over and over and praying that I can chance it. But yeah, that was that was crap. 
That's 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 frustrating, and um, and yeah. it, so, so that was the because you had that that loss uh, part uh, the third game of the tournament of well, yeah. six, six game tournament. So uh, uh, was that did you think then that the the chances of winning the tournament were over then? Is that and and therefore sort of uh, staving Jake off from uh, from being able to take the top spot? No, so because of how the, the scores were, if I came third, Jake mm. with the draw was all like first and second were very on for him, but. Yeah. I'm then just praying if he gets another draw, realistically, he can't go first or second. Like second is technically possible, but only with like crazy results. So I'm hoping that someone else can get a result and also putting myself in the best possible position to be that person myself mm. and also fighting for the spot on the podium. As it happened, I could have still come second, which wouldn't have done anything. But I still could have come second. Interesting. With a, with a loss. So Jake, you, you, your draw uh, with round two, was it? What what happened there? Uh, I, I think Dave, Dave seems to call it being round two. I have no idea. He's got much better memory than I do. <laughs> so, yeah. um, what, what I, I do. There? I do recall the game, um, and let's let's annoy some more people because it was another draw against Jasmine Tetley. Oh, Ooh. right. Yeah. No, that's yeah. interesting though. Rigged. Rigged. Not <laughs> um, <laughs> the kind of draw that you would want, though. No. No. Um, so yeah, that that was actually the assault and Lothlorien matchup that I was talking about earlier, where I set up the blinding light with Gladwell and uh-huh. and pulled it down because obviously I think it was was it retrieval, Dave. Yeah. So um, that's obviously not a great scenario anyway, especially against that army. And yeah, because they could just cancel back. up and just sit around their their objective and kill, break you and kill your leader, maybe, and that's a win, right? So that that's one strategy they can do. Also, because they've got a lot of monsters and fast oh, yeah. models, Spiders they can just come in and and get around. So I've really got to defend mine. So yeah. um, I think that this ties back into what we were saying earlier about strategies. It's about managing your expectations for an outcome of a scenario as well. Not always going for like, right, okay, I, I want to win this 12-0, but knowing that right, that's probably not going to be realistic, so I need to take a different approach. So um, we, we both sat down at the table like, fuck, great. We've got another matchup that's probably going to end in a draw, and everyone's going to be suspicious, and it's going to be crazy, so blah, 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 blah. Um, so that, that was just annoying. And then knowing that if one of us does win, because it's only game two, that's again come back to the whole team thing of knocking out one of your teammates. But um, but that wasn't even the most uh, memorable or, or awkward game from the weekend because that just ended up with being a lot of cagey shooting and then timing out and stuff. The big one was game three, which was against Sean. I want to say Creed. Yeah. Sean oh yeah, he's the ministerial guy. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful that, minister that the, of army. Oh, fantastic! Yeah, absolutely gorgeous. Um, that that was the recon game. Um, which by, by the end, it was the last game of day one and we ended up with loads of people around watching because it was really close right until the last moment. Having already taken a draw, knowing that if I get another one or a loss, then that is pretty much me out of the weekend, out of the chance of winning the league. So it was a really intense game. It was probably the hardest for one of the weekend. Um, his Minister's Army, 40 models, same as mine, doesn't have heroic march either, but he's got like six or seven cavalry. So I'm thinking, well, in, in this scenario, he's got a better chance. So there's no point in me trying to get anything off the board or trying to go for a major win here. So the, the whole plan was to just castle up 12 inches from my board edge, shoot him as much as I can, hopefully will those down, use Thorin to cap off any cavalry and things like that. And it's, That's generally how the, the game went. Thorin went and got some combats off some of his cavalry forces. Boromir was getting cast on all the time from Galadriel, so he wasn't doing too much. I was spread a little bit thin because the board was like very sparse in terms of terrain, apart from a few buildings. So I did have to get a little bit lucky with some of the, the side combats, making sure that I won those two-on-twos or three-on-threes that were here and there to, so that they didn't break through. Um, 
but it, it all came down to like the last couple of turns and I've, I've i said it a couple of times on on Entmoot and some other things sentinels win games every single time always take a sentinel in any list if you can because it just gives you such a, a redundancy for if anything goes slightly wrong with the model um and luckily my the sentinel in that game was able to pull off his last surviving cavalry bring him back in so he couldn't get off the board edge in the last game because if it wasn't for that then um yeah i definitely yeah. would have ended up oh that's interesting that. so that's key because and it's a gondor army so they must it would have been decent cav- uh courage well, as well he had um he had a yellow alliance he had legolas in there as well uh, yeah he okay, didn't so have the bonus mm, interesting though. No, yeah it, yeah it's close if he passed the courage test with the the cav he would have at least got a draw yeah Oh wow! So he, and that so that one courage check has has uh, just allowed you to squeak a win. Was it, and it can't have been much of a win uh, there, could it, Jake? Yeah, yeah. It was it was three nil in the end, which very nearly ended up one all anyway. For the last turn of combat, it was one model off breaking me, so I had to make a choice of what do I commit to here. It was the last couple of combats. Boromir was fighting someone, and Thorin and Galadriel had just pulled off a heroic combat. And so I had to make the choice of do I send my leader Thorin into Boromir to try and stop him killing that one model or do I send Galadriel in because she's a little bit sturdier because she's got the three fate and stuff. Mm. Um, and then the re-roll. So in the end, I decided we'll keep Thorin safe to guarantee not giving up any leader VPs mm. and just hope mm. that Galadriel can can survive. Um, so she went in, paired off Boromir, took five wounds, luckily passed all the three re-rollable fate. Wow. Um, and and that's what saved the game. So yeah, it came down to that. that was the last combat because we all, everyone watching, knew it was one. If Galadriel dies, uh, it's it's a win for well, sorry, a draw, and it's a one yeah. draw. Boromir did five wounds, which is you know slightly above average, but still pretty close. And then you rolled three fate all at once, two passes, and you yeah, got a reroll. So it came down to one dice, essentially a fifty-fifty <sighs> on a four plus. You win the game. Yeah, on a one, two, three, you're out of the contention. Man, it's tight. Yeah, it's real close. It's amazing how often these these games come down to 50 50 right at the end. Crikey, yeah. yeah. Madness. Oh, yeah. that's amazing. And so, so I mean, obviously, it's interesting. You both both mentioned games that are sort of middle of the tournament that that seem to have been instrumental. In terms of the the final games, was there anything particularly uh, extraordinary or, or interesting, or that that, that sort of changed the uh, the face of the tournament towards the end? I mean, I think the way we built our lists was quite fortunate for for day two because day one we had all the worst possible scenarios. So oh, it was, it was awful, Nelson yeah. game one, retrieval, and then recon. And then day three was like Candyland. It was just all the scenarios that I was really hoping for. So I was just like thinking, as long as I don't do anything absolutely monumentally stupid here, I might be in with a chance. Um, and then it, th- things just sort of were very, very lucky for me on on the day two games. Everything just seemed to be... It's those GBHL red dice just rolling sixes all the time. That's what it is. <laughs> well, win, win a 100-point event and get a red dice. That's how you win the league. I've what, got some in my what, bag. What? <laughs> I meant to give them away at tournaments, but I should keep them frustrating was um i was trying to convey to other people like listen if you want to play i'm not saying you have to play for a draw but understand that jake can't afford a draw you see what i mean like i, I mm. spoke to ash I, I didn't feel like i had to speak to him because i'm thinking like it's to the death surely he knows this like obviously he doesn't really want a draw either yeah he has to know that you can't afford a draw so if he yeah he says that like he's it acts like he's playing for a draw then it's like you can you can then gain advantages because your army definitely definitely much prefers sitting still and getting run at rather than having to walk across the board right yeah yeah 
which I mean that was frustrating to see because it feels to me like that's not taking in every part of the you know the the not just the game but obviously like the macro everything surrounding the game you know what I mean like that's just good tactics to understand what your opponent can and can't afford to do yeah but a lot of people don't I mean I like I can't basically you know I, I mean and essentially in that point I've, I'm out of my, it's out of my hands so it's like I can't force anyone to play any other way obviously it's like but I can say like hey you should this is a good idea but also you know but that's interesting so, so in, yeah I get, I get what you're getting at now so so you're it, it just you the 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 opponent against Jake in those situations can, yeah. can afford to play a slightly different game than they perhaps normally would because they know Jake cannot have a draw. Is that is that we're getting? Yeah, at? exactly. So yeah. it's like you're not you can act like you're playing for a draw to get the result that your opponent is forced to come to you. Yeah, Jake can't really have a second draw. I mean, you could still get third, and me. I think technically second was still possible, but it was very unlikely with two draws. Yeah, yeah. So it's and, like, and, and that doesn't necessarily mean that they're trying to you know get me out or anything or they've got an agenda it's just the fact of if yeah. because they know i am playing for a win then they can afford to be like cool well i will play for a draw and then you will make that not happen so it's yeah. more playing me than trying to do anything to manipulate exactly. the state well, that's clever and that's exactly the thing that i like to try and do you see understand what your opponent isn't isn't willing to do or isn't 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 capable of doing yeah and use that to your advantage see that is that is just next level kind of strategy for me <laughs> like trying to think of, of somebody saying all right well i know that you cannot get a draw so therefore i'm going to say i want a draw in order to get a win it's, it's like what yeah. but it's it's clever it's clever and it and it makes a lot of sense now you've explained it well that's fascinating and then so so when it came down to it um your was there was there tension in the room, um, Dave, when you were you, you were sort of watching? I know I, th- I feel like you did finish a bit earlier in the final game. When, were you sort of hovering around uh, Jake's top table to see how it was going? I know, nah. yeah, no, I wasn't. I wasn't. Well, for one thing, people weren't allowed in the room, so I, I wouldn't have done that anyway because I didn't particularly want to want to watch. Like my final opponent was absolutely lovely Scottish guy. Um, I kind of smashed him because my Thorin absolutely popped off. It was amazing. Um, it's a fun game. Fog of War is always a tough one because you're never quite sure, but I was able to kill all of his heroes with relative ease, apart from Gladrio, who was his leader, so it didn't matter anyway. So it was like, yeah. you've got a kind of... At that point, you're like, well, you know, I, I know I've won this. It wasn't a very stressful game. He was a very polite guy, very very friendly guy. We had a good time pushing some dwarves around, uh, smashing each other around. Um, and then, I guess... Who, who uh, for me, the, the problem I'd had was I'd drawn the previous round, so I wasn't in with the podium really either. My my previous round was was uh, came down to Thorin. Unfortunately, his one flub basically of the entire tournament cost me the game from a win to a draw, mm. which is sad. But you know it happens, so, and it wouldn't have mattered anyway because Jake won. So 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 yeah. So in this in this situation, you're just essentially uh, hoping for Jake to lose that final round, which which Jake was or against, draw, yeah. which, or draw, yeah, which was against yeah. who? Uh, Rowan May was my last game, the, the best newcomer from the year prior to me. Yeah. So that was a nice little showdown. Yeah, and and what was there? What what happened there? Was it a tricky game? Uh, it it was. I mean, kind of like Dave's. We had a very pleasant game. It was really nice. Um, I think he'll agree with me on this that a lot of the when you're playing against uh, other top table players, it's a lot more relaxed than potentially playing against a, a mid table player because you both understand the game quite well. You both know what you're essentially trying for and going for and you know the strategies that they know and all that sort of stuff so you can just kind of play the game as it's going to play out and just enjoy it i think it's it's something to be said for enjoying it 
um, whilst you're playing a very, very competitive game. Um, but no, it, it was it was fantastic. We had a really good time. Uh, Fog of War is my favourite scenario. I've probably played it more than all the others. Um, and the the only thing that probably didn't go as expected for the game is on the turns where he was marching up. Um, Rome was like, oh, I, I don't really value shooting. I don't think it's a good mechanic in the game. And then a one shot at his mouth of Sauron, which later turned out to be the hero who's protecting. So, so after that, he was like, ah, oh, I guess shooting isn't that bad after all then. Uh, <laughs> so so that, that was nice. That sort of put me at, a, well, it, it could have put me at an advantage at the start. It wasn't the hero I was targeting, but I thought, oh, I've taken that out. That's one less chance fix to deal with. So it makes the game slightly easier now. Um, and then from that point, it was just a case of playing out what we both know was 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 going to happen because there's only one way he plays that scenario. There's only one way I play that scenario uh, to give yourselves the best chance of winning it. Mm. So mm. that's interesting. So so and and that was it. And and you you managed to get the win in the end, and then and and take sneak the crown off Dave's head in the final the final throws of the of the league. I mean, yeah. F- first first of all, uh, Dave. I mean, obviously going into this, you were. You'd you'd both been uh, top of the the table, uh, the league table, multiple times over the course of the year. But I mean, you, how did how did that feel in that last moment? I mean, how, it must have been hard. I mean, like yeah, it, it was it wasn't great. But I've been sort of pretty much ever since I saw him get the win over Sean in the end of day one, I was sort of feeling, I had this like ominous feeling because I knew that was probably the weakest scenario. After coming through retrieval and recon with a draw and a win, I was thinking, this isn't, like, I can't rely on him losing now. Like, I was thinking, I don't necessarily think I have a shot at stopping him, essentially. Like, this isn't going to be mine. I need someone else to do it for me. So I was sort of, feeling at that point like well i basically just have to make my peace with this as soon as i can because it's going to happen like even if it doesn't happen i basically have to assume it's going to because otherwise it's going to be devastating that's the cruelty of this one wasn't it that you had had those um rough rough games in in day one so you didn't have a chance to to duke it out for for that position in the end which i guess it makes it hard though i mean i think it would have been more devastating to actually lose yeah, like if I had been playing you game six and I'd lost to you, I, that would have hurt a lot more. Yeah, because there's just something about it. But I mean, I, I think the hardest thing for me, I still haven't fully processed this. It's quite soon still to really think about it all. But the like the reward is not proportional to the effort. You know what I mean? Like I got second last year and I tried about five times harder this year and I got second again. And that's a oh. weird feeling because you know. Yeah, I can. It, it, I can obviously. see. I can see how that would that would stick in your throat, especially you know. I know you guys have gone to quite a lot more tournaments this year as well. So you know, there's yeah. the additional sort of effort and the 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 time as well, which you know people, I, I guess people don't necessarily automatically think about. But you've been to a lot of tournaments in order to compete for this, and that's that's a lot of money. That's a lot of time. That's a lot of you mm-hmm. know, a lot, lot of different uh, different things and a lot of hopes um put uh, pinned on it in in some ways but hey look dave i know i i think i said this at the end of the the tournament to you that you know the only way is up from here but then you pointed out you could just come second again which would be even worse <laughs> if the gym in a row wouldn't it yeah. yeah. Yes, I would. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I can understand that. Yeah, I mean, Jake. Obviously, without without sort of bragging too much, I mean, it must have it must have felt good um, uh, in that last last round of the tournament to to know that it wasn't just the tournament win going to you; it was the league. 
Yeah, so kind of in a similar vein to what Dave was saying about the second day, I'd spent the past month or so preparing myself for the fact that I probably wasn't going to win the league um, because even though I thought it was possible, and I'll be honest, I really wanted to. I was putting a lot of effort this year. Um, I also didn't want to be incredibly disappointed when it turns out that I didn't win, which I thought was a, a still a distinct possibility right up to the very end. Um, so to then have all of that sort of, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, validated that all the work I'd put in had, had paid off was a, a fantastic feeling. Um, but even if it hadn't have gone that way and I'd come second, the experience I've had this year was was well worth everything. And it, it would have been really tough to come second to to Dave and, and have him win the league. I would have been obviously thrilled for him, but I was really, really pleased when um, when that last game came down. And uh, yeah, that mm. meant that I'd taken the league. It was, it was a fantastic feeling. So. so so as a final thought then, um, you know, you've, you've, you've duped it out of the last year. Is, is there the same drive the the excitement the kind of the desire to to take that prize uh, again i mean uh, jake for you first i mean is it is it as as important this this year you've you've had one trophy um or or, or are you still going to fight to hold on to the throne so I, I honestly thought for the first day oh this is great i've won now i can relax take a bit of time off not worry about list building blah 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 and then when into the west got put up i was like you know what? Fuck it. Let's go all out next year again. I had such a such an incredible time this year that I I am absolutely going for it again next year. I want to get that second win and that third win and go for the fourth and uh, claim more league titles than everybody. I want to go all out. It's it's just it really hasn't disappeared. I am, if anything, more keen than I have been this year to to go hard again. Oh, amazing! So so you're not just you're you're now you've got the one trophy. You're thinking right, okay, I want to be the person who's won the most leagues ever. That sort of thing. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, oh well, that's exciting, Dave. I, I'm guessing for you, it's a similar th- feeling, or or is it? Have have you got the the energy for it anymore? <sighs> I mean, that, that, ex- that exhalation made it sound like you don't. <laughs> well, listen, when you have, when you put a lot into, but what I would say is my experience this year has um, made me feel like I should be more guarded with my goals because allowing yourself to say, yeah, I'm going to go for the league and then feel like you're going to get it for a long time, only to not get it at the last possible second. It's quite hard to take it. So, like, I don't know why. I'd probably say something similar if I'd won. I'd be like, yeah, feeling good. Just just keep playing. Maybe be a bit more open and try some new things without feeling the pressure of having to compete every week. Like, at what point does that stop being fun? I think there's a real danger that I think I might stop finding it fun in that context because for me the game i like the people i like the the setup but for me the most important thing is competition i need competition in my life and not being able to engage in it in other ways because of my physical injuries has meant that i've doubled down on this i've needed something but there's a real possibility that i can't face doing this again not really because Going that hard. I played 25 tournaments this year. Admittedly, two of those weren't league scoring. But 25 tournaments in a year. And to come out of it not fulfilling the goal that you felt very comfortable with as a possibility for like the majority of the year is quite hard to take. I will say that. Mm. It's not. It's still not very easy to talk about it. Yeah. But it's just something that I've had to think about 
Well, look, I, I appreciate and, and I appreciate you, you coming on uh, to talk about, and, and being open about it, you know, because um, we talked about this on the podcast a lot in the last few tournaments about the sort of the, the, the mental state you're left in, uh, whether whether winning or losing. Like, I found it difficult having a couple of wins that I feel a bit guilty about. And, um, you know, uh, people who really want to win like yourself who and who obviously have the potential you've you're the, the the one of the you know you're definitely one of the best players in the league you're it's there on on a piece of paper uh, it's just by a f- fraction that you you weren't uh, you weren't the winner here so i i would i would just uh, say you know uh, it's it's been incredible and fascinating hearing from both of you about about your tournament journey this year and and you know the the levels of competition the levels of skill and also the 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 level of sportsmanship between you is actually really inspiring because we hear tales of top table, you know, uh, cheating and all this sort of stuff. But the reality is clearly not true. You guys are are fantastic. The fact that you, uh, Dave, you've w- been willing to come on here and talk uh, with Jake, who you clearly, you know, you've you've uh, uh, had lots of uh, competition with, but also um, have a lot of respect for. I'm, I'm guessing and and felt willing to, to you know, uh, uh, bear it all. You know, uh, open your soul to to the, the the trials and tribulations of this this sort of thing. It's I, I'm 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 really grateful for both you doing it and and for uh, you know I really hope that you do find it in yourself to to uh, pick up the competition and, and get stuck in because I, I I think I think I think you could do it I think you could do it again yeah so I I, I mean I, I appreciate you acknowledging that as well because I did consider when you brought it up I was like do I want to do that do I really want to go there but I feel like part of my whole thing this year has been like I've been really open about it like I've, I was never shy about saying what I wanted, you know, I said, I, from the start, I said, you know what, I'd like to win the league. And I was trying, I was clearly trying from the beginning, but like, it's also a, in a way, it's kind of a cautionary tale. It's like, don't let your ambitions be your defining, try or try not to let them be the defining thing about whether you feel like you've succeeded or failed in what you were set out to do. Mm. Cause like you can say ultimately, like I had the highest average score. I had all, all these accolades, you know, I had, um, ten, 10 podiums in a year or whatever it was. You and you know, did, that's still and, and you didn't unheard have, of, pretty much. You didn't have Will Champion writing your list for you either. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well, you know, I, it's, a, it's, a, it's an inherited philosophy. I don't know if I guess if I was to say Will writing his list for him, but no, I, I mean, like, I won't pretend like I didn't steal that, like, that uh, three-way alliance from Jakob, like, verbatim. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not above all that. Yeah. Well, look, I, I, I think you, you like you like you say you've had an incredible number of accolades and the the success over this year, uh, the competition has been of of the highest highest quality. Uh, I think it's been amazing, and I really really I I would love love for it to to be doing this again next year, talking the same two two people um, and, and having a, a a similar sort of chat to uh, commiserating one of you and and uh, congratulating the other once again. So uh, I mean I'd I'd love to do it again, and it's been brilliant. So I, I just hope for both of you that that you get uh, you get what you want out of uh, the next the next year and who knows if we get a meta shake up it could it could all land on uh, somebody else's head yeah. who knows yeah absolutely i i just want to say as well i've had a, a obviously i've said many times i've had a fantastic year dave has been an incredible guy to be going up against he's i don't think anyone's ever got a bad word to say about him he's down to earth he's a good guy he's a fierce competitor and like th- this year the amount that i've gotten to know him and learn about him i just yeah massive massive respect and appreciation for him so thank you for mm. sort of spurring me on throughout this year and um yeah making it the experience that it really has been well you're welcome okay. i i think the bar has been raised for how good you have to be to win. And I think that's going to continue next year. And I'll be interested to see if anyone else can raise their level. 
Yeah. Who knows? It could be Ash Walsh next year. Well, that's the thing. That's the thing. There's plenty of people, uh, you know, I mean, that we could talk about Ashley Walger. We could talk about uh, Jakob, who we've mentioned a couple of times. There's there's, uh, Jay Acharya, who, you know, uh, had a couple of uh, uh, fourth places after losing on the top table a couple of times, who, you know, if Mm -hmm. those wins had gone a different way, could have been in contention. There's plenty of top players and who knows, could be uh, be waiting around the corner and joining the league, uh, just, you know, who may have just been playing in the last couple of games of this this year and, and be well in with a chance. Who knows? knows I, 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 yeah. or who knows will, will Jay Clare ever return who knows uh, it's, <laughs> it's fascinating um, but anything I, could happen anything could happen and that's why uh, that's why I love the love the league uh, and the competition element as well as uh, as the, just the hobby and the whole spirit of it all so uh, guys thanks again uh, it's been over an hour and I, and I promised you just an hour or thereabouts so let's keep it to that but I, I really do appreciate it uh, Dave Farmer and uh, and, J- uh, and Jake Rawson for, for being here uh, for Entmoot to discuss the end of the uh, the end of the G BHL League for 2023. Thank you guys for joining me. Anytime. Wowza. I mean, that's something else, right? Aren't they just fantastic? So, I mean, big round of applause to Jake and to uh, David um, because honestly, um, I, I, Dave in particular, I, I, I really, really have a lot of respect for for David for for coming on because you can you can hear in his voice at the end, you know, talking about uh, how difficult that is uh, to to sort of you know admit you know you were really really gunning for something and then to fall short and and admit you know admit that it, it was important to you and it is you know it's fine and 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 to to have the have the sort of the chutzpah the balls the big old man testicles to come come on and chat about it um in the way he did uh, in such grace is fantastic um i i have so much so much respect for david and for and for jake as well of course uh, it, it it was it was undeniable that you know he he was a cracking player no matter what. Um, but then just coming to the the end of the uh, the the season and sneaking the win um, from Mister Farmer's uh, clutches in the final final throws of the league. I mean, it's something else, honestly. It was it was incredibly exciting. If you're uh, one of those league watchers, uh, and there are plenty of people out there who who. Are, do sort of uh, occupy their minds with such things, but uh, uh, they're two uh, two real pinnacles of gamers, like top people and real people that you should you should idolise, not just in a gaming way, but in a way that they conduct themselves. No sweaty behaviour here, none of that sort of nonsense. Honestly, this is how you should be, and this is how you should act if you want to be a good player at the Middle Earth Strategy Battle Game. It's fantastic, and I'm, I'm so so glad that they were willing to talk to me about it all hope you enjoyed the podcast i'll leave it there uh, the next time you'll hear from me i'll be um heading off to belfast well to banger in northern ireland which is going to make for a banger of a podcast did you see what i did there Ba-dum-dum. anyway um very exciting i'm going to be using um a new army some new models which is very exciting which I hopefully will be building up over the next few episodes. So that's going to be exciting. Can't wait for Bangor in Northern Ireland, uh, brackets Belfast. And I really, really hope you enjoyed uh, episode 85 and 84 back-to-back. It's given you plenty of hobby content. Enjoy. Thanks for listening. Boo-ra-rum. Boo-ra-rum.